So what are you taking with you into the new year? Some of us are planners, so we're taking a brand new calendar. And if you're like me, it's almost completely filled already. We're taking a, a new calendar, a new planner into the new year. Uh, some of us are goal setters, so we're taking a long list of resolutions that we won't be able to keep, but we're taking a long list of resolutions into this new year. Uh, some of us are, are thinkers and intellectuals. You've got a long list of books that you're going to read, that you're going to carry with you into the new year. And some of you are contrarians. You see us with our resolutions and our planners and our reading lists, and you think, I'm not going to do anything in the new year. And then there are those of you who have PTSD from 2020, and you're like, I'm taking precaution into the new year. You asked for Lysol and toilet paper and riot gear for Christmas, and now you are ready to go. No matter what you are taking with you into this new year, uh, I have for you today just a handful of, uh, of truths, uh, some words of wisdom from the Word of God that I think would be helpful for you to take with you, to carry with you into this new year that I'm carrying with me. They come to us from the book of Proverbs, which is a book of wisdom, and, and there are quite literally hundreds and hundreds of, of nuggets of, of just pure gold in this book. But in a recent reading of it, there were three of them that stood out for me that I thought would also be helpful to share with you. And I just encourage you, along with whatever else you're taking into this year, to consider taking these three things. Now, before we dive into these three Proverbs... Um, a little background on the book of Proverbs, if you're not familiar. Uh, the book of Proverbs is a book of, you could put it like this, it's a book of divine dadvice. You know what dadvice is, right? There's normal advice, and then there's dadvice, which is that kind of worldly wisdom that only a father can give. It's that fatherly wisdom that is usually kind of quirky, sometimes crude, but always overflowing with helpful truths. So, for example, um, some dad advice would be something like this. I jotted some down. Uh, never turn down a free meal. That's some dad advice you'll hear. Uh, something I once heard someone say is never take a job where you can be replaced by a bucket of sand. I don't know what that means, but that's some dad advice for you. Something I've told uh, our children is always treat mom with respect. She makes our food and she knows our secrets. The story is told of a, of a girl who backed into a Mercedes and she called her dad for some quick advice and his words to her were, give him your, your insurance information and next time hit a Ford. That was his words of advice. The book of Proverbs is divine dad advice. It was written largely by King Solomon who we're told in the scriptures and throughout history is the, the wisest person who's ever lived. And at different moments in the book of Proverbs, he, he quite literally addresses it to his son. It's a book full of wisdom from a father to a son about how to thrive in the world that God has made. And since we ultimately believe that this book was inspired by God the Father, it's not only useful for Solomon's kids, but for all of God's children. If we want to wrap our arms around it and apply it to our life, it's helpful for our thriving in God's world. And so in my reading of this book, there were, there were three things, three pieces of wisdom from Solomon, ultimately from God the Father, to me, to you, about how we can potentially make the most out of 2021. The first piece of wisdom is this. Don't put too much trust in or derive too much pride from your plans. This is a word of humility. 
you and I would be wise to be mindful of how little control we actually have over our lives. And if 2020 reminded us of anything, it's of that, that we can make plans, but our plans quickly get changed. You make a whole lot of plans, you fill out your planner, you make your resolutions, you list out your goals, and then all of a sudden you're wearing a mask in church, you're working from home, kids are fighting in online school, and you're wondering if posting a picture of the family eating inside Whataburger on Facebook is going to be too politically divisive. That's where you find yourself. Now, that's not to say that you shouldn't make plans, but we should hold our plans loosely. Listen to what Proverbs 27, verse 1 says. It says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Hold your plans loosely and hold on to your God more tightly. Now, the reason that needs to be said is because you and I, we tend to do the opposite. We make our plans, we hold on to them with a death grip, and then when our plans change, we insist on holding on to our plans and the way we think life should go, and what we let go of is our trust in God. We let go of our trust in God and we start hurling accusations and doubts His way. Let me give you another proverb. Proverbs 19, verse 21, it says this, Many are the plans in the mind of a man or woman, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Many are your plans, but it's the purpose of God that will ultimately get its way. Your plans for this year may be great, may be wonderful, may be good, but your plans are not a contract with God. God does not read your annual calendar or your list of goals and go, well, I got to make that happen for him now. Your plans are not a contract with God. Your plans are not a promise from God. You could put it like this. Your plans, my plans, are not God. Now, should we make plans? Yes. Hold them loosely. Hold our trust in God more tightly. A person of faith approaches their plans for the year like this. They say, Lord, here's my plans. Here's what I would like your will to be. But I want your will more than I want my way. That's a phrase worth holding on to. That's something people of faith say. I want your will, whatever it is, more than I want my way. The most important plan that you can make right now, the most practical plan you can make right now, is what you will do and how you respond when your plans don't pan out. Do some scenario planning, as they call it. And plan right now what your attitude will be toward God. When your plans don't pan out, will you shake your fist at him saying, I thought we had a deal? And still fighting in your heart and mind to get your way? Or continuing to hold on to the way things should have been and the way things should go? Or will you relinquish your plans to God when God erases your plans and say, ultimately, I want your will more than I want my way? Which will it be? Decide now. Second proverb, second truth for us to hold on to in this new year is this. Don't indulge the urge to compare and compete. Don't indulge the urge to compare and leave justice to God. Uh, this proverb is about contentment. Being content with, with where God puts us this year and content with where God puts other people this year. And that might be the hardest part. Uh, listen to the proverb from which this truth is derived. Proverbs 24, verses 19 through 20. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, and be not envious of the wicked, for the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. 
evildoers abound. Now, that, that word tends to throw us for a loop because we don't use that word much. When I say evildoer, you tend to think of you know, bad guys from the cartoons with like curly mustaches or the bad guys on Scooby-Doo who are always unveiled at the end and say, we would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you and that dog. But evildoers do exist. Uh, think of it like this. Think of it the, as the people who've hurt you, the people who've wronged you, the spe- people who you know speak poorly of you. You could also just think of it as the people that you find yourself constantly comparing yourself to and competing against. It's okay to think of it like that. But you and I both know that there are people in this world who you say to yourself, well, as long as I'm doing better than them, I'm okay. As long as I'm two steps ahead of her, or as long as my life is better than him, I'm doing okay. Those are the people that you compete against and you compare yourself to. And you're going to be tempted, maybe you've already given into it, just, you know, five seconds into the new year, to compare where you are to where they are. And you know where that leads. You compare yourself to their life, and all of a sudden you're full of, you're full of uh, self-consciousness about your own existence. You compare your blooper reel to their highlight reel, and all of a sudden you're doubting God's goodness in your life. But there is another choice. Because if you're not careful with that, it leads you to a place of bitterness and ultimately of vengefulness where you walk around with a bitter spirit wishing poorly on somebody else so you can lift yourself up. And you know you've been there before. You may be there right now. I've been there before. But here's the attitude of a person of faith. And this is, this is a hard thing to live out, but it is the thing we're called to, strain, to strive for. The, the attitude of faith says, no matter where I am today, no matter where God takes me this year, I'm going to be okay with where God takes me because it's where God wants me to be. And I'm going to trust that God will, in the very end, reward good, punish evil, and he will see me for who I am and see others for who they are. Ultimately, justice will be done. God will see everybody for who they are, and in the very end, I will end up on the side of victory. Justice will be done because God is good. And in the meantime, I'm going to be okay with where I am. So for me, what this means, in order to kind of lay hold to this truth, what this has meant for me in previous years is to be careful about the amount of time I expose myself to comparison to other people. And this is a hard thing for me. It's, it's meant in years past that I've had to take a break off of social media for like over a year because it was just too easy for me to compare and compete with other people and then I became a bitter, nasty person. It's also meant that I've had to put, at times, boundaries around certain people whose presence and the things that they say encourage me to compare myself to others or who encourage me to speak poorly, think poorly of others in order to knock them down and lift myself up. And I just say, I can't be around that because I don't want to do that. A good exercise for the ride home might be this. Uh, Ask yourself, ask the people that you're with in the car ride home, ask yourself this, who are we most tempted to compare ourselves to? In our heart and mind, who are we most tempted to compete with and be jealous of? And how might I, how might we as a family in the year ahead, how might we keep our focus on ourselves and where God has called us rather than on others and what they have? That's a good exercise. Third proverb is this. The third truth to hold on to is this. Don't overlook the power of words and use them purposefully and use them positively. This is about the kind of impact and influence that you want to make and have in this year. 
The scriptures say this over and over again. If you're familiar with them at all, you're familiar with, with this, this constant refrain of the scriptures, that your words have power. Your words have power. Jesus says it deep in the New Testament. The, the first pastors and leaders of the church say it. And certainly throughout the Old Testament, you hear it. Your words have power. Proverbs 18.21 says this, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. The power that your words have is one of the ways in which you are an image bearer of God. Uh, Christians often talk about being part of the imago Dei, which is Latin for image bearing of God. Uh, we reflect his image to the rest of the world. There are certain aspects of life as a human being that reflect the character and the nature of God that the rest of creation doesn't reflect. And one of those things is the fact that when we speak, stuff happens. Our words actually accomplish things. That's part of us reflecting the nature of God. So when God wants to create all things in Genesis chapter 1, what does he do? He speaks. He doesn't lift a hammer. He speaks words. When Jesus raises Lazarus to life, what does he do? He speaks. When he speaks, stuff happens. When you speak, stuff happens. Solomon says that your words are like seeds. Seeds that are planted in the lives of other people that bear fruit. And the question is not, the question not if it will bear fruit, but what kind of fruit will it bear? Will it bear fruit that leads to life or fruit that leads to death? Fruit that leads to life is... Words that are planted in the hearts and minds of other people that lead them and help them to thrive in God's world as God intends. They're words that are true. They're words that are encouraging. They're words that are compassionate and grace-filled. Words that lead to death are words that push people deeper into the sin and despair and struggle of this life. They're words that are false. They're words that are, that are increasing the pressure upon them to perform and be and prove. They're words that aim to punish and make the person hearing them feel as bad as the one who's saying them. The words you speak plant a seed in the lives of others that bear fruit. What kind of fruit is it bearing? Now, what's interesting to me is that this truth from the scriptures is, is proven scientifically. Uh, go with me on this. Uh, Andrew Newberg is a neuroscientist from Thomas Jefferson University, and, and he's done extensive research on the physiological impact that words have. He says that the words we speak to one another, they light up the frontal lobe of our brains, and we tend to hold on to them there. We don't hold on to every word, but we tend to hold on to the good words and the bad words, and then they kind of take root in the frontal lobe of our brain, and the words that take root in the frontal lobe of our brain, they then influence what he calls the motor cortex of our brains, which then directly influence our actions. What he says is, the words you say to your children, the words you say to your spouse, the words you say to your coworkers shape the decisions and the actions of your children and your spouse and your coworkers. Likewise, the words that you take in and you choose to hold on to, that you allow to kind of sit right here in your brain, they shape you. So for example, if you spend hours consuming media that is full of fear and half-truths and self-righteousness and anger, what do you think that's going to do with you? Maybe that's why your wife looks at you and says, why are you so fearful and self-righteous and angry? My goodness. What do you think it's going to do to you? So, so maybe one of the things that we should consider this year is to be very careful in our curation of the words we allow around us and the words we say to others. I mean, if words plant seeds that bear fruit, 
Wouldn't it be wise for us to be careful what we allow? I mean, if you want less fear and anger and panic and polarization in your world, if that's one of your prayers, then maybe you should surround yourself with less fear and anger and panic and polarization. Maybe. Or what if rather than have the goal this year to to plant a garden and grow your own tomatoes, what if you had a goal this year, knowing that the power of your words exists, what if you had the goal this year that you were going to plant certain things in the lives of people that you love? What if you said, "Um, I'm going to plant some courage with my words in my firstborn. I'm going to plant some peace into my spouse with my words. I'm going to plant some joy into my coworker with my words. Your words have power of life and death, and they bear fruit. What kind of fruit will you reap with your words and with what you allow in the year to come? Now, These three things, they're good dad advice. They're good biblical advice. Be mindful of the words that you speak. Don't compare yourself to others. Don't put too much trust in your plans. Hold them loosely. Hold God's plans more tightly. Trust in him more. This is all good dad advice. But here's the thing. Even if you crush all of this in 2021, there'll still be moments of real failure and struggle in this new year we find ourselves in. Which means there's one more piece of advice, so to speak, that you need to hold on to. Not only should you not compare yourself to others, not only should you hold your plans loosely, not only should you watch your words, but you should, when, when your attempt at being wise, according to God's word, when your attempt fails, you would be wise to lean fully and completely on Jesus. Now, here's what I mean by that. The scriptures tell us that Jesus is wisdom personified. Jesus is wisdom personified. Now, that means two things. It means that that Jesus is the one who makes it possible for us to have a relationship with the Father, which the Proverbs say is the beginning, the foundation, the root of all wisdom. Like, you can be uh, the most put together and, and... and successful person in the world, but if you miss the boat on having a relationship with the Father, you've missed the boat completely. And that's why the scriptures say that that fear of the Lord, worship and awe for God the Father, having a relationship with him is the beginning, the foundation of all wisdom. Because if you fail to have a relationship with him, you just miss the point of this whole existence. And Jesus Christ, through his life and his death and his resurrection, is the one who forges a relationship for you with the Father. So if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you don't have a relationship with the Father, You're a fool. So he is wisdom personified because he gives you the most wise thing, which is a relationship with him. But he's also wisdom personified in that he lives out all of these truths given to us in the Proverbs and beyond. He lives them out to perfection. And these truths, when you live them out, they have certain benefits. But he lives these out to perfection, and then he bequeaths the benefits of his perfect adherence to the wisdom of the Father. He bequeaths all of it to us. Through faith. Think about the things that we just said. Don't put too much trust in your own plans. But you can trust in Jesus' plans. 
He's planned for you that no matter what happens to you, you're going to be in the Father's family. Every sin's going to be forgiven. Your future is secure. Nothing will shake that plan. Trust in it. Take pride in it. Lean upon it, especially when your plans fall apart. Uh, Likewise, as you compare yourself to others and you feel like you fall down, you don't have what you want, don't have what you need, remember that God sees you as all good in his eyes. Because of the work of Jesus, because the perfection of Jesus and the love of Jesus covers over you, the one who made you, the only one whose opinion really matters, when he looks at you, he sees someone he loves and accepts. So no matter how you compare to others, you're fine in the eyes of the Father through Jesus. Wisdom personified. And people may say horrible things about you that have a deep impact on you. And you may be guilty of saying some terrible thing to other people. But here's what I know to be true, that Jesus uses all of his words to speak nothing but good things about you. He speaks nothing but forgiveness over you. He speaks nothing but grace and love to you. He speaks nothing but the blessings of God to you. And when God speaks, stuff happens. So Jesus says you're forgiven, and you are. Jesus says you are loved, and you are. Jesus says that there is nothing but mercy that flows from heaven towards you, and there is nothing but mercy for you. Because when God speaks, Stuff happens, and it becomes true for you. Jesus is wisdom personified, and all of it benefits you. So later on this year, when your efforts at wisdom fall apart, and you see yourself yet again to be a fragile, failing, sinful human being, you lean upon Jesus And you give thanks that he is your wisdom. He's made you right with the Father. And he's done all the things you can't and gives you the ultimate benefits of his obedience to hold as your own. And you lean upon that, you trust in that, and then you get up the next day and try to be as wise as you can. And then when you fail, you lean upon Jesus. And you repeat that over and over again until 2022. Shakespeare wrote a play called As You Like It. There's this line that's always stood out to me from that play, and it goes like this. It says, The fool doth think he is wise, but the wise man knows himself to be a fool. When you realize your foolishness later this year, the wisest thing you can do is admit it and confess it and give thanks to God the Father for Jesus Christ. What are you going to take with you into this new year? I was talking to somebody a couple weeks ago, and they said that we should take some trepidation into this new year, maybe some fear into this new year, because as they pointed out, it is year 2021, which literally means 2021. I'm like, I don't think that's anything. I don't think. What are you taking with you? This week marks epiphany on the church calendar. And we celebrate the fact that God in flesh has entered into our world and the bright light of Jesus, God in his fullness, enters into your world and shines on you, shines on me, shines on everybody. The best way to start a year and to celebrate this week is to hold tight to that light. 
and you hold on to that light by, by holding on to the, the truths of Scripture that we've talked about today, take these three things, put them in your back pocket, hold on to them, and say, I'm going to hold on to the bright light of God's love that shines through his word and the truths that we've talked about today. I'm going to hold on to these things. But also, also, hold on to the word made flesh in Jesus. Hold on to him. Because he is the wisdom of God. In flesh, for you, personified, perfected, and given to you as a gift. May you be wise this year. Hold your plans loosely. Keep your eyes on God and yourself and off of others in comparison. Use your words to bring life. And when this year kind of falls apart like last year did, give thanks that Jesus is your wisdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, once again, we, we thank you that you have sent your Son into this world. We thank you that, that he has given us your Spirit so that we can understand your Word and we can learn from it and we can be guided and directed and convicted by, by truths like these. And, and we pray that these truths and, and any others that you reveal to us would shape each step that we take, every decision that we make this year. We want to be as, as wise as we can according to your word. But, but ultimately, ultimately, when, when we show ourselves to be who we really are, which is far from perfect, in our weakness, remind us that Christ is our wisdom and give us peace knowing that even though our life might end up in pieces, that he, he's made us right with you And that the benefits of wisdom that we can't attain on our own, he has already won for us in his life and his death and his resurrection. We ask this in his name. Amen.